When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you like, uh, would you guys want me to get Reavers on the phone so he can bless us with uh, his knowledge? I, uh, I can call Reavers. No, don't wake him up. <laughs> okay. He's probably okay. busy. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, Matt and Courtney in here for Mackie and Judd today. And uh, yesterday, Courtney, just thinking it was going to be a usual Sunday. Just wake up, you know, have a little breakfast, get on the old computer. And it's just never that way in Viking land. And got a call early in the morning about some big news that was going to come and, and drop down. And we end up with... Tony Spano passing away unexpectedly at 56 years old. And then yesterday we spent the whole day pretty much reading about his past and the Wildcat and all the players that he had impacted. My whole Twitter feed was pretty much just the Vikings retweeting different players who were reaching out and talking about Tony Sperano. Completely shocking and awful news for the Vikings. Tragic. And they start training camp this week. To imagine that type of burden where you have no time to grieve over this. Losing somebody who not only had ties to multiple coaches on this staff from other stops, Mike Zimmer, John Filippo. I mean, all the players that put words out there yesterday and even going into this morning it shows you throughout 19 years in the NFL what kind of an impact you can have. 19 years as a coach. Um, and it's really tough. It's tough to stomach because it just shows you how fragile. 56 years old. Dropped dead of a heart attack in his kitchen. I, it's I, awful. I can't help but think yesterday when it was coming out, um, and Chris Mortensen had some details about that, that he had gone to the hospital with chest mm-hmm. pains and they had released him. Uh, you just can't help but think about the life that some of these coaches lead and how crazy it is for them. The, the, the hours and, you know, we, we joke about grinding the tape, but when, you know, Winter Park, one of my friends lives near Winter Park and sometimes we'd be hanging out and drive by. You know, later on at night, and Mike Zimmer's truck was still there. Yeah, you know, you're talking few hours of sleep, crazy amounts of pressure. I can't even imagine the stress that goes into getting ready for a game and just doing that over and over and over and over again. And these guys constantly feel like, "What did I miss?" And I need to be more prepared than anybody else. And the only guys who get there that climb that ladder, like Tony Sperano, to have those long careers, are the ones that work that crazy hard and you always have to wonder about the impact that that has on them and their bodies and their personal lives and and all those things and i i just couldn't help but thinking about that a lot yesterday when the news of sperano dying came down yeah i mean it's it just reinforces i think how fragile as i said life is i mean you take a look at you know 56 years old that's, you know, he's been in this league for a really long time. He's held head coaching positions. He's been about every assistant you can imagine. The impact he has, um, I don't think is going to be, I mean, it's, it was a huge storyline. I think if any other assistant, if this happened to anybody else, I mean, there would certainly be an impact. But I think the league-wide um, outpouring of support that we saw for Sperano and continue to see just really reinforces what his role is in this bigger picture. And, I mean, his legacy is something that's going to be debated about, you know, for a long time. And especially this week, just given what he did in two seasons here with this offensive line, taking a group last year of guys who had never started, you know, this combination of five guys all playing positions they'd never started in, and taking this team, a big reason why they went to the NFC Championship last year was the offensive line play. 
Um, and that's a direct credit to Tony Sperano. I mean, he's had in speaking with, um, you know, several, several people close to him and people who have played for him, coached with him over the last 24 hours. You really just get that that vibe where he was a blue collar coach through and through. No nonsense, no frills, but he cared. He cared about his players. He cared about the development of men in the league. And I so often we joke kind of about that where it's, you mm-hmm. know, rah, rah, meathead league. That was the crux of who Tony Sperano was, was caring about his players more than just his athletes. I think Teddy Bridgewater's tweet, uh, to me, that, that that was the gut punch the most. That one meant a lot where, where you're looking at it where Tony cared about these guys as people. Yeah. And that's something, these guys are not robots. As you said, they work ridiculous, insane hours. To be a coach at any level, to be a good coach, you have to be sl- slightly clinically insane. And I mean that in an endearing term. But you also have the human element that we so often forget to talk about because this is a this is a win now league and it's an emotionless league and you're supposed to put all that behind and talk, only talk about X's and O's. No, I think moments like this you get to see really who this man was and what he stood for. So yesterday, Teddy Bridgewater tweeted exactly this: "You will be missed by your loved ones, the guys you coached, and the ones you impacted over the years." Coach Sperano, calm, cool, and always wearing your shades, no matter how dark the room was. Thank you for caring about us as individuals and not just athletes. And I, I think about last year and how much the offensive line improved, but it wasn't just that they brought in some better players, Riley Reef and Mike Remmers, and they draft Pat Elfline, but the development of Pat Elfline and handing him over to Tony Sperano and asking him to be the starting center from day one is a really tough task in the NFL. Asking Nick Easton to go from a center to guard is another challenge that they had to take on going into week one, really. To run an entirely different scheme, too, where, you know, they're they're doing the outside zone blocking thing where you, you need to find athletes. And that's why they, you know, when they cut ties with Alex Boone, it was maybe somewhat of a surprise, but they took a chance on what they had. Um, Joe Berger said it in, a, in, and I believe, to the Star Tribune yesterday, too, that, you know, 13 seasons, he wouldn't be where he was. Uh, without a guy like Tony Sperano and just the development and and the guidance he got and and, and to be a perfect fit in this system, um, I just think it goes back to you know how adaptable he was as a coach. You take a look at some of the other places he'd been. He had all power guys in Oakland, and then he goes to San Francisco, and then he comes here. I mean, he's had he's been so many places, and he left he's left his mark wherever he's been. And I think that this season. You know, regardless of how the Vikings eventually do have to move forward, today's kind of their day to regroup for the coaches to, you know, you're thinking about, you know, having to plan a funeral for this man. And also training camp starts and mm-hmm. rookies report tomorrow. The first their first practice is Wednesday. Veterans report on Friday. The first full team practice is Saturday. Let, let's take a step back and, you know. Realize that this this game that what they're what they're striving for right now is it's definitely going to be what you throw yourself into to get through the grief. But give yourself time to grieve. It's it's just awful with the timing of it and the fact that you you know you you have to force yourself to move on just because of the schedule the way it permits itself. It's just it's really hard to stomach how this whole thing unfolded. Yeah, and they can't just push it back a few days. No. Uh, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network and former 1500 ESPN Vikings reporter, uh, he tweeted out that they had planned to have a big everybody's back yeah, like a party. Picnic. Yeah, mm-hmm. for all the families uh, of the employees and everybody with the organization to have a big celebration to get going. And then now, of course, that's canceled with Tony Sperano passing away yesterday at 56 years old. I think of last year and how that offensive line came together, not just playing well. For for the majority of the season, we remember at the end that they had the injury to Nick Easton and they didn't play well against Philadelphia in the NFC Championship game. Well, really, but, really since Carolina, when everybody got injured, where so Riley Reef got the, le- I believe, the leg or the ankle injury, and then, you know, Remmers and, and Elfline were also injured. And, I mean, it's... They, if anybody knew how important drafting an offensive lineman would have been to this group, um, and how important that is to combat injuries, given the rash that they faced down the stretch last year, really week five. Let's not say it was the end of the season; it started in week five. But then, even before that, when they, the eight and eight skid that they went on in 2016, 
a lot of that can be pointed to just how many combinations and swinging guys around in the offensive line. Tony, he always had a plan, which I think was, you know, why we're able to talk about guys like Rashad Hill, uh, Danny Isadora, and even before that with Jeremiah Searles, knew and know that they were players who they could rely on. You know, I wrote about this last year, and I, that was part of it. You wrote about it, too, the depth on the offensive line yeah. and how many different pieces they had to put in there in, in different ways. I also think that those guys around Tony Sperano found an identity for themselves and played a huge role in going 13-3. and three. The improvement on the offensive line was one of the biggest reasons why they went from 8-8 eight and eight to 13-3. and three. It's number one priority going in the last offseason. That's why they traded up to get Elfline in the third round. And they were 7th in rushing yards. They were 7th in adjusted sack percentage. They weren't giving up many sacks. And uh, even though Case Keenum would run around sometimes when he would get pressure. <laughs> but he was one of the least sack starters in the NFL last season. That's a testament to the guys that he had in front of him. Right. And, and just from... You know, spending time with those offensive linemen, uh, you could get the sense of they were taking on the personality of Tony Sperano, and they were talking about this last year. It's not just saying it now. That in, I went back and looked through some different articles that I wrote about the offensive line, and that was one of the things that was talked about a lot. Is you know this group coming together and forming its own identity. And playing really, really well. When they were 100% healthy, I think that they were an above-average offensive line Mm -hmm. who were really good at the one or two things that they were asked to be really good at. You know, the screen blocking. Is Case Keenum as good as he was last year? Without Without the screens? Maybe not. I I don't think there's any way they are. Think about the change that they had to make. You lose Sam Bradford, you lose Dalvin Cook to be able to incorporate more of the screens in Case Keenum's game once he takes over, to be able to move to more of that power scheme to benefit Latavius Murray once he takes over for Dalvin Cook. More adversity was thrown their way than anybody else on that team, and you don't often hear about it because, yeah, that's the trenches, but games as we often are told are won in the trenches, and it's pretty evident with how adaptable his group was uh, how much credit he deserves for for getting that, in. but it's it's a no frills type group. You never those were as you said they take on the personality of their head co- of the, you know of their position coach, which is why I think as time went on they weren't around the locker room as much necessarily to talk. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of had to seek them out. Pat Elfline was somebody who um, you know was very quiet and did not want a lot of the credit. But you know I wrote something right ahead of the NFC Championship just about how he was the key part of that to be a rookie center. I mean, everybody's going out, throwing out that he's Mick Tingle off, right? Like, right from the start. Um, he put all that, he compartmentalized all that, and, and Tony and I had a really good conversation um, last January, or, you know, in January, about the role that he had um, in forming this rookie into somebody that is one of the best young centers in the NFL. And, you know, I think when you talk to you talk to Pat Elfline this week, if you, if you get a chance, he'll that credit's going to go right back where it came from. Um, and the development that he had, Tony taking a chance on him, moving Nick Easton over. I mean, there were a lot of chances taken last year in moving guys out of position because Tony saw the bigger picture. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin in for Mackie and Judd all day today. At uh, 9.30, we're going to talk with Derek Wetmore. We've got lots of twins. I can't wait to ask Derek how Drew Butera got an inside-the-park home run. I, I want to know, too. I need a full explanation and breakdown second by second of how a former Twins backup catcher ended up with an inside-the-park home run. Also, we're going to talk with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, a little bit of camp preview here. We'll be talking Vikings training camp all week. Judd will be back tomorrow, and uh, I'll be with him kind of the rest of the week until Friday. So we're going to talk with Eric about that and Kirk Cousins and what some of the numbers say about Kirk Cousins and what we should expect. Pro Football Focus has the Vikings winning the NFC North, but just barely. So we're going to take a little break, and then I want to talk more about Tony Sperano and the Wildcat and kind of <laughs> what it says about the NFL and how the NFL works and how coaches are always adapting and being creative and and coming up with different changes. So we will remember the Wildcat when we come back. Lots coming up. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. Pennington is not under center. Again, Roddy Brown 
looking to throw it. Brown, touchdown, Anthony Fasano. They've pulled out all the stops here in New England, and the Miami Dolphins are trouncing the Patriots. Ricky Williams is in. He sets up as a slot receiver. Eighth play of the drive. Now Williams will shift. Look at that. Ronnie Brown untouched for the touchdown. This is reminiscent of what you saw from Derek McFadden in the Arkansas Razorbacks over the last few years. That spread formation where you snap it to the running back. They fake the reverse with Ricky Williams coming around in. Ronnie Brown just buries his head for Coach Tony Sparano. In the middle of the night. So I don't generally have any feelings about any NFL team really at all. Like just, okay, the Houston Texans, they are who they are. Are they good? Are they bad? That's all I really care about. Who plays for them? Who are the stars? If the Vikings are playing them, then how is that going to match up? That's what I generally only care about with every NFL franchise, including the Minnesota Vikings. The exception to that is the New England Patriots, Mm -hmm. who I think are incredible cheaters and obnoxious to the thousandth power. And I just can't stand anything to do with the New England Patriots. And when Tony Sperano pulled out the Wildcat in that game in 2008 and destroyed Bill Belichick and left him completely dumbfounded in a game because he decided to snap it directly to the running back, it was magical. It was one of my favorite NFL moments ever. I mean, that's and he, he'll be known for being the only coach that also from a one in fifteen team take him to the playoffs the next year. That's a huge part of his legacy. But I think the Wildcat in itself, just being such a simple concept that you annihilate the Patriots. And I mean, they weren't the Patriots that they are now back in two thousand and one, but they were still the Patriots. And I, I, you know, the story of like what of how you know they're zero and two. He brings Chad Pennington into his office and be like, this is what we're going to do. And just the adaptability. I read something. Uh, Peter King had a column this morning in his, his new venture with NB, with Pro Football Talk, um, where it's the most Parcells type thing ever. Because obviously Tony Sperano, like Mike Zimmer, like Sean Payton, like a lot of these guys in the NFL, they're, they're uh, Parcells disciples. And um, it reminded me of a story where, you know, when he's talking about, you know, the Wednesday before that game, because the offense just looked like garbage. And Tony, in, in a very per- Parcells way, just kicked every kicked the entire offense off the field. <laughs> um, and, and Pennington was certainly upset. And um, the, quote, the quote that he told the team afterwards was, quote, I'm so tired of going to New England year after year, and everyone always plays them so tight and nervous, like they're the King Kongs of football. Let's go up there and believe. And apparently Sprano loved it. He, he would buy into that type of shtick where it's, you know, that that – you know, reverse psychology or that motivation to get the most out of his players. And with the Wildcat itself, um, to outsmart a guy like Bill Belichick and to and to do that in, in such a way where, you know, single wing, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, that's, that, that's going to be remarkable. It's going to be one of the lasting parts of his legacy. But I do bring that up to... Um, to tell a story, at least that I know, because it's pretty well known. I used to cover the Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. An offensive lineman that I spoke with uh, years ago, even before I got out there, he played. He was drafted, played with the Raiders. Their 0-4, I believe, was when they went to London. Dennis Allen gets fired. Tony Sperano then becomes the interim head coach. Uh, I believe, I don't know if they left Dennis Allen in London, <laughs> maybe. Um, but they had a meeting. This is before he buried the football and pulled the ultimate football guy move in doing that. But... Um, it just kind of like when I read this article this morning, it kind of made me think, okay, this is probably a Parcells thing too. Apparently, according to the story that I that I was told by a player who was there, um, Sperano called a team meeting after they get back from London, bringing everybody into the into the facility in Alameda. And um, to paraphrase, the meeting went something like, okay, we're we're all in right now. If you don't want to be here, get the blank out. And you know, guys are staring around at each other. Like, Coach, we're under contract. We can't just leave. <laughs> but. It's one of those total football guy moves where you're all in or you're not. And I think that's why he had such a buy-in when it's with when it's with the Dolphins, when it's with the Raiders, and why those wins, they may have been few and far between in some of those teams, especially that 2014 Raiders team, but why those wins meant so much and why you know, why his players fought for him the way that they did. 
uh, really came down to the way that he led them and, and the type of you know tactics he used to get the most out of them. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin in for Mackie and Judd here. We'll talk with uh, Derek Wetmore about Twins in a couple minutes. Going back to the Wildcat, it's one of my favorite things about the NFL and about football in general is how coaches are always trying to find ways, whether it's looking back or looking around the league or just adding different tweaks and changes and all those things. And the, the cat and mouse game that gets played throughout history I love to read about that. I love to read about how zone blitzes were invented to stop the West Coast offense and all the different things like that. The um, the West Coast offense was invented because of an injury to a strong-armed quarterback. So Cincinnati had to put in a weak-armed quarterback with Bill Walsh as their offensive coordinator at that time, and then he took it to San Francisco. Joe Montana, rest is history. And for Tony Sperano to think to go so far back to a play that was pre-NFL being what it is, days. It's high school football right there. <laughs> it, it was just such a, a, a clever, clever move. And it spread like wildfire, too. Teams started doing it all around the league. And at that time, I was calling high school football. It was my first broadcasting gig that I got paid for. And the high school team, their best player, was their running back. And they started putting him in and taking the direct snap. Now, there were probably a lot of high schools who did that. Oh, I saw that all the time in Mississippi because oftentimes you don't have great quarterbacks at the high school level, so your best player is either your receiver who you you know throw into that position too or your running back. But this team had a, a decent quarterback, and their coach told us that they weren't planning on doing it, but then they saw the Dolphins succeed with it, so they started putting their guy back there, <laughs> and, and then they started breaking big runs on it. And to see the trends that sort of come and go. Maybe the way that it ultimately gets remembered is how much of a flash in the pan it was, but that's everything in the NFL when it comes to those trends beyond the the concepts that everybody uses. It's often the, you know, I mean, Sean McVay last year, finding different little ways to win with the talent that you're given. And that turnaround was so cool. And if you think about new England and how much they've dominated, that was the only year, I believe, that was, was that the year that Matt Castle mm-hmm. w- was there because of uh, Brady's injury? That was the only year that they haven't won the division in the Tom Brady era was Tony Sperano leading that. So he was a, a, a special coach, and I think someone that you don't just say, oh, we'll hire someone else. I mean, that, that's come to you know my Twitter, and people will ask, well, what do they do now? Well, I'm sure they'll hire someone else. They're not going to leave the position vacant. But the connection between Zimmer and Sperano going back to the Cowboys and the oh, Parcells three to days, six. I think right. they were there together. Um, I think that allowed him to get a coach like Sperano on this coaching staff that normally you might not have been able to get a coach of that caliber to just be your offensive line coach. Yeah, I mean, he's a survivalist in this league, too. Look at how many different positions he held within 19 years. And um, I think the innovation factor where... You know, I, I spoke. My last interview with Tony was at minicamp. It was the last interview I capped off uh, right before the team broke for summer break, um, and I spoke to him mainly for a feature that I have coming out on John D. Filippo and just their time together in Oakland and the innovator aspect. And I think so much of what and what John would probably say to it too. You know, where he gets that from, where he's always touted for his adaptability and in, in being able to to move from one quarterback to the next and still win a Super Bowl. That comes from the guys who he's been under. And Tony Sperano had to do that multiple times throughout his career. Um, and just I mean, even taking a look at, at the offensive line schemes, he's been in a number of different systems that he's had to create um, and execute just given the players that he has. And I think the way that he gets the most out of those guys, in, in whether it's a power scheme, whether it's outside zone, whatever they're doing, wherever he is, uh, just shows his versatility and and he's you know he's quietly had this incredible career maybe under probably underappreciated and undervalued uh just because of the way that you know when he left and you know he didn't get the interim tag removed you know mm-hmm. they hired Jack Del Rio in Oakland and then before that with Miami he wasn't a coordinator until after he was a head coach so i think that's an interesting to- story of just the the role that he took and in, in how he's how he made a life for himself in the NFL. I mean, take a look at that Wildcat. They ran it six times. Four of those times they scored touchdowns. Um, that's that doesn't happen 
unless you were a good innovator and somebody who's able to adapt. And, you know, that was the one time probably in Bill Belichick's career where he was not able to adapt. It was probably also a nod to how much Zimmer respected Tony Sperano to implement the Wildcat in 2016 and a little bit in 2017. But we, I think we saw it with Jared McKinnon, I think, twice. He fumbled, fumbled against it. the Lions and we never saw it again. Yeah. I think after that, it was I, probably it was, okay. Wasn't it two plays that they did it in that game? Yeah. It was in the third quarter. It was right before Dalvin got hurt. Uh huh. But in 2016, their running game was so bad that the Wildcat plays were a few of them that were actually still working. And I think teams had stopped preparing for Wildcats long ago, and then all of a sudden they brought it out. And I remember the statistic, something about, you know, they in the range of five yards a carry when they were running the Wildcat. So they were still making it work. But I think most coaches would have been like, yeah, Tony, good for you. The Wildcat, we're not using it. And they decided, hey, our running game isn't working all that well, and we're going to, you know, try to bring it back from time to time with the 2016 Vikings. And so with him being an innovator like that and having that place in history as someone who was a part of a huge turnaround and did it through their own creativity, I think that's a great legacy to have. He's not going to go down as Bill Parcells as the, one of the greatest coaches of all time, but you will be remembered for something that you created in a way and something that you changed in a way which is what makes the league great, I think. Going from last in the league and rushing in 2016 to where they were last year, imagine if Dav- Dalvin Cook had stayed healthy. I mean, he's as much a part of ushering in this new era of a run game, the modern era of a run game with these screen passes um, you know, to the running back and, and just being able to open things up, getting guys to the second level, the screen game, all of that. He, that's a direct credit on him as much as it was on Pat Shermer last year. So a little later this morning, we will get into how this could impact the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, this is about as shocking of news as you will ever have happen to you right before training camp. And this is a team that under Mike Zimmer has been forced to be extremely, extremely, extremely resilient with is, all the things they've gone through. It's so sad that this is, I mean, this is obviously a horrific blow. And they've had multiple of these, not of the death caliber, but I mean, obviously with everything Zimmer's been through, this is going to be just another another notch to really def- define his legacy of how, you know, and, and, and I mean that in a way where you take a look at everything he's encountered personally with with his personnel, with his quarterbacks, um, and, and now with the death of a, of a coach and a close friend. Um how he's able to help this, help lead this team and, and steer the ship to a winning season. You know, there's guys saying they want to dedicate the season to Tony Sperano. I mean, I'm pretty sure Mike's going to say the same thing when we talk to him on Wednesday. First play from scrimmage, regular season against San Francisco has got to be Wildcat, right? I mean, it has to be. It, it would be a great tribute. It'd be a great tribute. I think that's the way to go. Uh, we'll talk about that about 10 o'clock how this team is going to be able to handle it and what it could mean for training camp and the season as it starts with uh, a tragedy, the beginning of this Minnesota Viking season. Coming up next, I have to ask Derek Wetmore how Drew Butera ended up with an inside-the-park home run. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. This could go on forever. What should I do? I could shave. I can clip my nails. Nah. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Talking twins. Now, with 1500ESPN.com senior web editor and resident seam head Derek Wetmore. Presented by the Canopy Group for the best insurance coverage at the absolute best price. Yeah. Line to center field. Butera is to third. Mike Churchill is going to bring it home. He is safe with an inside the park home run. Okay, normally I would be against the color analyst screaming, Go Drew, there. Uh, having done play by play, when your color person jumps over you, it's annoying. But in that case, yeah, that's that's justified. If a catcher has a shot at an inside the park home run, you are allowed to openly scream and root for him. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin in for Mackie and Judd. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, joining us now. Derek, how did this happen? How? 
How did what 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 happened? I'm still in that, shock and awe. That's right. I think they are too. They came into the break feeling pretty good about themselves. I think it was nine and two on the last home stand, and it's like, okay, well, it's a lot of ground to make up, but we've got a shot at this thing here. I think that Royal Series pretty effectively took the uh, wind out of the sails, not just the Butera inside the Parker, but that was the nail in the coffin for that three-game sweep, too. And, and they've got nine more coming up on, that are all on the road. Is that right? Yeah, it's a long road trip before yeah. they get home. And, and I don't know if that helps them or hurts them, honestly. They, it might not be the same team by the time they get back to Target Field. Probably not. And when you take a look at this trade deadline that's coming up, obviously they're in seller mode right now. There's been the ups and downs and you know where the identity of this team is this year. I think it's safe to say, Derek, that... Let, let's just cut, let's just burn it down now. As I think Matt and I talked about this two months ago on the very same time slot. Brian Dozier is that name that we're hearing a lot of interest from the Brewers. There is there still a mystery team potentially in the mix. I think Doogie reported something on that. But is there is it really the Brewers that are the front runners to potentially you know tap into this right before the trade deadline? I would say mystery team is one of the overused words at this time of year. But I will also back that up by saying. Anybody who was in on Manny Machado and feels like they need that bat, especially from an infielder, they ought to be in on Brian Dozier. Okay, the Dodgers get Machado, so sort of consolation prize, if you want to call it that. Might be Brian Dozier. It might be Eduardo Escobar. I think teams like the Phillies make sense there. You mentioned the Brewers. That makes all kinds of sense, too. Um, but if I'm the Twins, I'm currently trying to decide, do I want to trade Brian Dozier or do I want to see him play out the rest of his contract here Offer him the qualifying offer, and then if he walks away, you get a nice draft pick for compensation there. I, I think that's kind of the decision for the Twins is not, will there be a suitor? For sure there will be a suitor. It's, is the package that we get back from a trader, a trade partner, is that going to be better than the draft pick and the slot money? I, I don't know what that answer is, but that's the question I'd be asking myself right now. Derek Wetmore joining us here. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd. Am I wrong, Derek, to be a little bit annoyed with this team for getting swept in Kansas City? <laughs> because you know what I was doing? I was talking myself into this, how fun this could be. Even if they traded yeah. Dozier, I'm looking at the August schedule, and there's a stretch where they have nine games against only Detroit and Pittsburgh, and then they follow that up with three games against the Chicago White Sox, and Cleveland is mixed in all over the August schedule, so there's your shot at potentially getting back in if they could beat Cleveland. I talked myself into it with, hey, Irvin Santana's coming back, Sano has lost some weight, maybe he'll come back and hit some dingers, maybe Buxton will get healthy, and all of the dreams just flushed with that series, that you should, you should never get swept by one of the worst teams in baseball. Right. You are right to be annoyed. We don't agree all the time, my friend, but in this case, it's exactly right. I, I think that the thing that the Royals series reminded me of this season is who they're playing without. The Twins, that is uh, Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton you just mentioned. They're also missing Jason Castro, who I think has been a bigger loss than people recognize behind the plate. Uh, Irvin Santana is going to be making his first start of the season on Wednesday. That that was the ace last year. He's the guy that started the wild card game for you in New York, and you're just getting him back. So to me, it is a reminder of sort of who's not there. I mean, let's be honest. Byron Buxton probably catches that sinking liner, and Drew Butera does not circle the bases on an inside-the-park home run. Uh, that's not to denigrate Jake Cave or anything. It's just the Twins are playing with a lot of backups this year. They just got Jorge Polanco back in the lineup. That, to me, is what it it sort of underscored here, this Royal Series. I think, to your point on the schedule, the Indians and the, the Central being weak, and, boy, they can really beat up on some teams. I think that's what Twins fans are telling themselves. I think Indians fans are looking at it and saying, oh, we get to beat up on every team in the Central, including the Twins. So I, I think it's just kind of a perspective depending on who you're rooting for. So my question goes back to, I think it was probably last week, was it last Sunday that we saw Fernando Rodney in the fifth inning? Never, you haven't yeah. seen him there in about a decade. That's right. Um, what what's going on with these bullpen struggles, and why do you think that there's not been as active as an approach to kind of? I mean, this is something that we talked about going in from last season to now, how to aid some of these problems with you know your guys in the later innings. I mean, what what is the crux of this uh, from the first half? Can you define like why they, they, these bullpen woes continue to happen? Yeah, I think I'd look at it from a thirty thousand foot view here, which is to say. The Twins feel really good, or felt in the past anyways, 
really good about their young core of relievers, the guys that are in the minor leagues that throw 98 and are trickling up through the system. I think that's the one thing you can really question from this past winter, the way the front office assembled their bullpen by getting Fernando Rodney on sort of a cheap deal. Addison Reed, they might have got a little bit of a discount, and he's had his struggles and injuries might have played a part in that. Um, And then Zach Duke. So they basically said, well, the back end of our bullpen wasn't good enough. Let's go get three guys who are good pitchers, but they're not, you know, Araldis Chapman. They're not Kenley Jansen in his prime. They're not the mow them down kind of guys. It's good, solid, trustworthy relievers. And the backside of that is they haven't really had any of those young guys bubble up. I mean, Ryan Presley's had some impressive outings. Trevor Hildenberger, some ups and some downs. But, I mean, your Alan Buznitz is your, gosh, up and down that list. Jake Reed, Mason Melitakis was on that list. There's just a long list of relievers that I think the Twins have felt pretty good about for a couple of years. And we're not seeing too much of that. It's mostly a veteran bullpen. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised, Courtney, if Fernando Rodney gets shopped around, if Zach Duke's name gets mentioned in trade talks. Like I said, I, I'm not 100% sure it'll be the same team by the time they get back to Target Field. So what is our expectation? Now that I think all of us are on the same page, you got to trade everybody away, burn it down, sell as much as you possibly can. As obnoxious as that is to happen mm-hmm. over and over again as this team tries right. to rebuild, I understand frustration of fans who just want to see them be relevant again, but that's the best way to go now that you've dropped this series and you're nine and a half out, well, you're not going to win a wild card spot. What can we expect that? How I mean, what can we expect them to get as far as players that come back when you're moving a player like right. Dozier and you know potentially different role players who could fit in? I mean, we just saw that a team traded a relief pitcher for a top five prospect in baseball. So teams do get crazy around this time. They do, but the Brad Hand trade, which I assume is what you're talking about, yes. the Indians give up uh, their top catching prospect, which you never see people do. But the flip side of that is Indians might lose Cody Allen and Andrew Miller to free agency this year. And Brad Hand, who's a great reliever in his own right, is under team control through, I think, 2021. So they're not trading present for the future. They're trading future for the present and future. On your question for Dozier, what could you get? I mean, you could get a prospect, but I don't think Twins fans are going to be wowed by the return for Brian Dozier. And that's simply because teams aren't giving up a lot anymore in terms of their top prospects for quote-unquote rental players. I mean, with two months and some change left on a contract before he hits free agency, there's no guarantees Dozier would stay with whatever team he's playing for next. And the same goes for Manny Machado. You look at Manny Machado, one of the young stars in baseball, and I think the thinking around that prospect package that they got back, that Baltimore got back for trading Machado, was kind of like, eh, all right, they got maybe they got some future major leaguers. There's there's nobody that Orioles fans were jumping up and down saying, "Oh my gosh, we got him!" So the the days of the you know Mark Tashira trade him and restock your whole farm system all at once, I think those have gone by. And uh, you you talked about selling the farm, and I do think it's time to sell. But I would caution the Twins. I think they have to think about 2019. This to me, this is not a rebuild. It's like refinance right now. Refinance your home get a better interest rate and run it back in 2019, you know, with some of the young players, the Sonos, the Buxton, you get them back, Jose Barrios leading the rotation, I, I think they have a chance to be a pretty good baseball team next year. So I wouldn't make a uh, fire sale. I would just get rid of the guys that don't have any part in next year's team. So tell me, what are the goals then, or what should Twins fans care about for the rest oh. of the way? Well, 1A, Byron Buxton, 1B, Miguel Sano. If those two guys get right, Matthew, it solves a lot of these little problems. Oh, the seventh inning is a little insecure. Okay, that's fine if you have a player who's one of the top 20 in all of baseball, or if you have two of those guys, it's a lot easier to sort of smooth over some of your rough edges. And then I guess if you're the sentimental type, the Joe Maurer situation is going to be really interesting the rest of the way because he's trailing only Harmon Killebrew in franchise history in terms of getting on base. And I think I think it's 68 more times on base that Maurer has to get, which is achievable for him if he stays in a Twins uniform the rest of the way, stays healthy, and keeps hitting. That, to me, is going to be, is this a retirement tour, or does he come back for a year or two? 
Is he done playing baseball? We, we don't know because he's so short with the answers. He continues to say, as long as I'm contributing, as long as I'm productive, I'd like to keep playing. And if you'd be so kind, I'd like to not talk about it anymore. And, that, and that's just his personality. To me, that's going to be one of the things that I, I hope Twins fans are following the final two months. All right, Derek. Um, can you tell me the last time a former Twins backup catcher had an inside-the-park home run? Oh, I will have no, to consult I don't, I don't have any idea. Back I have no <laughs> yeah. idea. I just thought that maybe there was a chance that you would give us a Jason Stark moment of your own, and you would know oh, that man. immediately. So you've come I up wish short. I could. I'm not on that level, but uh, <laughs> I will get back to you when I come up with that. All right. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, guys. Derek Wetmore's work at 1500ESPN.com, as well as the Touch Em All podcast. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd. We'll have stuff coming up at 1030. Don't worry, we will talk about Tiger Woods. We've also got our 10 most interesting players to look for at Vikings training camp. We'll talk with Scott Baer also about the legacy of Tony Sperano and Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus. So a lot coming up. But next, let's get back into how this impacts the Vikings in the short term and then throughout the season. Matt and Courtney in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Do you have the hottest of hot sports takes? Not afraid to share your opinions on the local teams? Do you want your own show right here? On 1500 ESPN, if you answered yes, then 1500 ESPN's Sportscaster Idol is for you. We are holding a competition to find our next host with the winner receiving their very own show for a full year. Entries are being accepted on our website through this Sunday, the 29th. That's all you've got, so get it in this week. More details, 1500ESPN.com. So earlier, Courtney, you alluded to all the things that Mike Zimmer has been through since Mm -hmm. he has been the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and it goes back even more with the unexpected loss of his wife as well. 2009, when he was with the Bengals. Yep. So he's gone through that and then got here, immediately had to deal with the Adrian Peterson thing, Peterson being suspended for the year, and then the following year has the Blair Walsh miss. Teddy Bridgewater in 2016 has his knee fall apart completely. And then every offensive lineman who has ever lived got hurt after that. Last year. And then Norv Turner. And then Norv Unexpectedly, or maybe expectedly, but that was certainly a shock. And right around the time of that was the eye. Right. Can't forget the eye. That's right. The eye was a huge thing. (laughs) Eight eight surgeries. So, So he goes through all of that. And then last year... Loses his starting quarterback week one, still finds a way to go 13 and three, but has what he has happen in Philadelphia. And we get to this season where the expectations are the highest that they have ever been for this team in a really, really long time, at least. I would say 2010 is probably the last time that the Vikings went into a season thinking that they should be a Super Bowl contender. Uh, clearly, that didn't work out, but that's the last time you can really say it that yes. They are going in with high possibility of being a Super Bowl team, and that's where the bar is set. Anything less is going to be disappointing. And he starts the season with the death of his offensive line coach. I mean, this guy has been through so much in his coaching career, and here for this team, they have to start out a season where the pressure was already on with a tragedy. And as hard as it is to talk about the football aspect of this, because a family lost a husband, a father, a grandfather, all that, um, still that that's that's a part of the conversation. Though is now this team is forced to go through even more adversity in the, in the Zimmer era. Yeah, I mean it's it will be once again. This is all of these hurdles that Mike Zimmer has crossed for the last near decade, as you said, since since the loss of his wife, Vicky, um, have really defined him as a coach and as a leader and how he's been able to bounce, I don't know if bounce back's the right word, but navigate. I mean, navigate these landmines that, you know, continually pop up at every corner. And, you know, it, it's hard. You feel icky talking about the football part of it today, especially since this happened, you know, about 24 hours ago um, and then the news started to trickle out. But at some point, 
that's going to be what they're going to have to do just because the schedule does not permit itself to be any other way with rookies reporting on Tuesday and the first practice opening on, on Wednesday. But, um, you know, someone like Tony Sperano is not going to be replaced. That's certainly when we're talking about, you know, potentially next candidates for the job, which, you know, we certainly don't have to get into, but that's going to be what the conversation eventually shifts towards this week. Um, but I think right now where you focus this conversation is how does this affect the team? You know, truth be told, the offensive line was the weakest link of this offense, even long, you know, this whole season. That no Going into this, we knew that there were a lot of question marks. The biggest storyline that we talked about on the Purple Podcast the other day and the reason that, you know, my number one player and when we go through, you know, from 10 to 1, the most interesting players just happens to be an offensive lineman because there's so much uncertainty. And I wouldn't, I don't necessarily think that the death of Sperano creates more uncertainty because this is a cohesive unit to begin with. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it's a freaking tragedy. That is what it is. And, you know, how guys are able to cope with that and, you know, continue to press, press forward. We'll see how that is. I mean, but there still are these questions that they're going to have to find some way to answer throughout training camp and whether that's finding a coach from within or going outside the ranks. I mean, they've, you know, they have a mountain ahead of them, and you, and you just, you know, you tip your cap to the guys that are going through this and, and having to continue to work while, while not having any time to grieve and trying to pick up the pieces where they can and, you know, press forward as best they can. And that's where my mind goes for just how difficult it is already with no distractions or no tragedies in your life for these guys to get ready for the NFL season and compete in training camp and trying to avoid injuries and trying to learn new offense with a new quarterback and the pressure that is on them already, that's the, the, the starting point is incredibly challenging for an NFL team that's expected to go to the Super Bowl. And then you add this to it, and the, the question for me is just where does this team stand emotionally as they start this? I, I mean, it would be impossible for them to have the same level of focus. And I guess the good part is just that we're really far away from the start of the season, and they're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of time to to work through this. But I feel like you're starting behind the eight ball with something that is so terrible happening right at the beginning of training camp, and you're going to be asked to just continue to show up and work through it and not really be able to deal with what this must be like. I, I don't think that people fully understand how close these players get with their position coach. Oh, absolutely. Head coaches run the whole operation, but the guy that you're there with every single meeting, every single day, is your position coach. So I was talking with Kennedy Palomalu about the running backs. He's the the position coach of the running backs. And he was saying how close he is with Delvin Cook and Latavius Murray and was with Jarek McKinnon. He's like, I want to be at these guys' weddings. Like I feel that close to them, like an uncle or a father figure to these players, and I think that a lot of them would stay, say the same thing about Tony Sperano. So you're losing someone that's not just a coach on the team, but someone who is extremely close to you right now. And that's going to be tough. It's, it's irreplaceable. I mean, we're, it's going to be very raw week for these guys because the entire team is going to be I mean, the guys that you know knew him the guys that were around him they're going to be asked to relay their memories and it's it's how do you you know somebody's here maybe you haven't seen him since the end of the offseason program maybe you've been in touch with him and now he's not here and you have to navigate how do i move forward while still you know at some point you have to compartmentalize that and i think this week is just going to be really tough for guys um, it's it's going to be emotional because once you know you're getting back, you're excited for the season, and then you're immediately dealt a blow from the jump. That's not an easy thing to to navigate through. I think, you know, um, Tashawn Bowers said something. He had a really um, I'm trying to find his tweet. It was it was a tweet yesterday about losing multiple coaches. I believe in the last few months. Uh, and for him, and that's something that you know, there's there's guys on on this team who've probably dealt with the death of a player before, dealt with the loss of a coach. In season, I think it makes it ten times harder because you're trying to move forward while that person was still there, and you know he's very much a part of the game plan. I can't even imagine what that must be like at the office right now, having to walk by his office and see his things, and you know, just just that that, that really guts you when you think about it, where. Everything was in place for him to be there. 
And now you have to move forward as if he's not. Well, you know, and that and that's just tough for, I think, a lot of guys to do. So as you said about the focus, you know, the timing of it is awful as it is. Um, but there is still, you know, some good time that they have about a month until the season, about seven Sundays, I think, until the week one opener against the uh, 49ers. So for me, um, I take a look at that where these next few weeks are going to define who they are and are going to either make or break this team because it's going to bring you closer together and you're going to be able to figure out what the problems are on this team as far as like, you know, position battles, things like that, as we talked about with the offensive line. But this will be the, this will be one of these win it for Tony type years. I mean, Latavius Murray, he had him in Oakland for a number of years. He's the reason he became such a good running back and, you know, had that Pro Bowl season. Um, this will be a rallying cry around this team as it should be. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd today. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about little little Tiger Woods and what we saw yesterday. How much were you into it? We were distracted, you and I, by I had it. I had it on news. for a little bit, yeah. and then obviously this That was my plan. Happened. My plan for yesterday, the Vikings will never let you just relax. It's always something it's that's, sad. that's coming on, and... Uh, you know, this, of course, is incredibly uh, tragic with uh, Tony Sperano passing away. It's just with this team, there's always something happening. I saw people yesterday saying, gosh, is this team cursed with, you know, you go from almost year to year to year, but even month to month with something it's new terrible. that they're having to go through. It, it's kind of incredible. Uh, so my plan yesterday was to just sit and watch Tiger Woods I was doing some work in between, but what it was like for this week for people of our age that saw Tiger at his greatest to then see him see a little glimpse of that again. We'll talk about that next. Matt and Courtney in for Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.